Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays for a Text Driven Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning. And we're back in Hebrews, uh, the Hebrews series that George is doing, and today we're looking at Hebrews <coughs> chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. So if you follow along in your Bible, you want to grab and go there. It's a couple weeks early, so... Uh... Scrambling, scrambling a little bit. <laughs> you well, and your it, COVID, Jay. Yeah. Just, well, I thought it. I thought it was fine, George. I mean, it. You know, I know you had a little bit less time to prepare, but I thought it, I thought it was good. Um, the way that you approached the text and explained. <laughs> so, this is one of those texts that, on the surface, you come to it and you're like, "Oh, this is really." It's really easy because the the point is really clear, right? I mean, you can't you can't really misunderstand what the point is. It's just getting to the point is there's a little bit of difficulty. Okay, there. Um, I was <laughs> I was really struggling with what should I even do an outline? Uh, how how many verses should I do? And um, so Julia said, "Have you listened to anyone else who's preached on these texts?" So I. No, I haven't. Maybe maybe that would help. So I go and see what's John MacArthur done, what's Piper done, um, Alistair Begg. Uh, MacArthur did 11 through 19. Piper did 11 through 25. Alistair Begg did 11 through 28. <laughs> so that that actually didn't help. <laughs> that actually made it a little bit more difficult. Uh, and then on top of that, I was just reading the manuscripts or the transcripts of the, of the sermons. Um, Piper, towards the beginning of his, says, uh, 11 through 24 is um, can be difficult and confusing unless you exert great mental effort. And so I was thinking <laughs> to myself, well, I'm already at a disadvantage. <laughs> I'm, I'm already in trouble. Um, so at some point uh, in my prep, I just had to say, all right, I'm just going to do this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see how it goes. Yeah. So. I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Um, let's uh, maybe give us a quick recap, like maybe in less than five minutes, if possible. Right. What is the book of Hebrews, and where are we at in this section of Hebrews? Okay, so um, the book of Hebrews can be summarized with the phrase "Jesus is better." So you've got um, these new Jewish Christians who are making the transition from the old covenant way of of worship with the temple, the priests, the sacrifices, into the new covenant that is centered entirely on Jesus and his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because of persecution and hardship that uh, you'll see explicitly in chapter 10, the, uh, some of them are being tempted to leave the church and go back to the temple. Mm-hmm. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to show them that Jesus is superior to all of the old covenant way of, of worship. So uh, chapter one, Jesus is the final revelation of God. He's the better revelation. So long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Um, he goes on to show how Jesus is better than the angels um, because he is the eternal second person of the Trinity. He's the son. Um, He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He brings a better rest. Um, And now we're in this middle section, which is really the heart of the letter, um, chapter 4, verse 14 through the end of chapter 10. And it's the biggest section because this is really getting at the heart of the issue. Um, 
if they're being tempted to go back to Jerusalem to the te- the temple that's there and the priests who are there and the animal sacrifices, he spends this these next several chapters showing how Jesus is the better priest. He is uh, he mediates a better covenant, um, and it's because he has offered a better sacrifice. Mm. So that's where we are. Um, so we're we're right at the beginning of this section where he is arguing that Jesus is a better priest than the the priests that are Levites right. in Jerusalem. Uh-huh. And the the way that he's arguing it is by looking to Melchizedek. Right. Um, <laughs> I would encourage people to go back and listen to that uh, right, instead yeah. of me trying to <laughs> you know resummarize it. But Melchizedek, he's this king priest that. Um, Abraham encountered in Genesis chapter 14. Um, he receives tithes from Abraham, and he gives a blessing to Abram, and the author of Hebrews here says, look, that is evidence that there's a superior priesthood that's not based upon this genealogical principle that you have to be a Levite. It's right. outside of the law. It's before the Levites. And here, David, 400 years later in Psalm 110, he's anticipating a greater priest who is after the order of Melchizedek, who will supersede the uh, the old Levitical priesthood. Right. So that's where we are. Okay. Was that under five minutes? Yeah. Okay. Got a sneeze. Oh, we got a sneeze coming on. <laughs> All right, move the microphone. One little side sidebar I thought of uh, while you were talking yesterday. Um, the fact that he is making the argument as he does about mm. the priesthood, um, good evidence it's written really early, like before the destruction of the Oh, temple. yeah, yeah. It's, right. um, it's, I would say that it's 100%. <laughs> Um, that this was written before AD seventy. Yeah. Um, because, Otherwise, the argument why, could be different. It would be like, yeah, why would they be tempted to go back to a temple that's not there? Right. Why would they want to go back to priests and sacrifices that aren't being offered? Right. Um, I I mentioned it in the in the sermon. I I kind of wanted to explore it a little more, but I didn't have time to research exactly what um, modern day Judaism does. Right. But. There, there is a problem with modern-day Judaism that they don't have a temple. They don't have priests. They don't have sacrifices. And in kind of the uh, the neo-Orthodoxy um, movement, which is the more liberal, um, they, uh, they actually reject the priesthood because it, um, it teaches that there is uh, a class of, of people or tribe that's more important than the others. Mm-hmm. And so they reject that. Mm. Um, but, so, but as far as the conservatives go, I don't know. I mean, I, you've got the you've got the really conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got you've got those that um, uh, you know the Hasidic Jews you see in, uh, in pictures of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Um, they're at least some of them are looking for a rebuilt temple. They want right. to rebuild the temple. Um, there's rumors that they're working on, you know, reestablishing the priesthood and right. the sacrificial system if if it were to happen. Yeah. Um, so you've got you've got a big spectrum of of Judaism, but no matter where they are on the spectrum, you have a big problem. Yeah. For two thousand years, there have been no sacrifices made by Levites to atone for the sins of the people. Mm-hmm. That's that's a bit that's a big issue that's a big problem 
Yeah. Um, because if you don't have those things, how are you going to have fellowship with God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was kind of the main the main idea of this sermon mm-hmm. is you said you had an opening illustration about Michelangelo and kind of shooting too low with your goals. Yeah. And uh, then you applied that to the Christian life and you mm-hmm. say, like, what is the goal of your Christian faith? Right. And then you said, that, you know, and we, people sometimes don't sit down and actually think about it, that the goal of the Christian faith is not to have, you know, prosperity in this mm-hmm. life. Though some would think that. They say, if you become a Christian, your life will be better. That's definitely not the goal <laughs> right. of the Christian life. Because right. a lot of times you become a Christian your life get worse, right? Yeah. Your, uh, your parents may turn on you mm-hmm. before becoming a Christian, or your kids, yeah. or you may, in some countries, start to be persecuted. Right. Um, and the goal of the Christian life, if you're just shooting for heaven, that's mm-hmm. too low, too. Yeah. Um, but the goal of the Christian life is to get to God, right? to get direct access to Him, mm-hmm. like what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden before the fall, right. where they walked with God and talked with God face to face. And that's the goal of the Christian faith. Right. And so the main point you stated up front is the only way to get to God is Jesus's priesthood. Right. And it, that's how it, it what, has to come through a priesthood. Yeah. Um, it's that's a non negotiable. And you, so that's you what you cannot approach God on your own. You have to have a priest. Yeah. And so you did a good job the way you, you uh, de- kind of made your points because. The points are like all interwoven throughout mm-hmm. the text, so it's hard for to preach this line by line. Like, yeah, in a that, that straight... was the that was the biggest problem I was having because right. I'm I'm really a linear, yeah, sequentially. Guy. And when I come to a text like this, I can't and I can't preach it. It really gives me right. the it really gives me the <laughs> a lot of problems. So to go through sequentially might have not had right. You might not have been able to communicate the points as well. So you went with two points mm-hmm. um, that. This type of goal, the perfection is not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. Right. And then the other one is that only through Jesus' priesthood do we have the goal accomplished and get to God. Right. And so those points are kind of like folded over each other mm-hmm. in eleven through twenty-eight. Yeah. So we'll we'll jump in there, but first let's have you read the text. Okay. All right. Uh Hebrews chapter seven, beginning in verse eleven. It says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever." 
This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. All right. All right, so let's jump in. And uh... and I'll tell you, before we begin our discussion, that 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 last part of chapter 7 is so rich that we're going to go back to it on Sunday. Okay. So we're going to go look again at Jesus' priesthood on uh, on Sunday. The last part of chapter 7? I, th- I, think, I think we might start at ch- ch- uh, verse 20 and go through the end of the chapter again um, and really try to focus in on the perfection of Jesus. 20 through 28? Yeah. Okay. So that's why I kind of did kind of a... Mm-hmm. A quick sweep, right? Um, over it because I, I think that there's just so much there. We just need to be reminded of who <clears throat> our yeah. high priest is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so point one is perfection is not attainable through the Levitical priesthood, which is how he begins in verse eleven. Now, if perfection were attainable through the Le- Levitical priesthood, always good when your point is like right there. So yeah. there, there's your <laughs> right. point. Perfection right. is not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. Mm-hmm. So let's let's not like re-preach it. Yeah. Um, let's give us the points as you go through 11 through 28, because um, we'll kind of go through it twice, right? 11 through 28 mm-hmm. from the first point, 11 through 28 through the second point. Right. The weaknesses. Why? Why? Can the Levitical priesthood not attain perfection and yeah. actually bring us to God? Right, and I think the um, I think the first thing we need to be sure we define is what does he mean by perfection? What's that mean? Um, because if that's the goal, perfection, <clears throat> yeah, um, what does that mean? And I think we see what it means when we um, jump down to verse eighteen and nineteen because there's kind of a parallel going on. He says, on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Mm-hmm. So the former commandment is set against a better hope. Mm-hmm. Um, the law made nothing perfect is set against... Drawing near to drawing God. Drawing near to God, yeah. Mm-hmm. So perfection here means the goal. Um, that that's the the Greek word teleos. It's the goal. It's the fulfillment. It's the completeness. What is the what's the end purpose of a priesthood? It's to bring us fully to God. Um, F. F. Bruce, uh, who's a commentator, um, he said that perfection it means unimpeded access to God and unbroken communion with Him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Levitical priest, he says in verse eleven, um, cannot do that. Right. They can do it in, they they could do it in that um that kind of temporary state of the of the old covenant. So they would offer animal sacrifices and the people were atoned for. Mm-hmm. Um but even under that God is still 
in the Holy of Holies behind a curtain and only one person can go in one time a year and he has to atone for his own sins first. So you can't have that unbroken access to God. Mm -hmm. um, so perfection is not attainable through them. Um, and there's, uh, there's some reasons for that. Um, the first reason we see is that um, it's based on genealogy. Yeah. Right? So in order to be a Levitical priest, shocker, yeah, you have to be a Levite, mm -hmm. right? This is non-negotiable. It's you, you can't fudge on this. Mm -hmm. it, it can't be. Well, it's majority Levites, but there's a couple from Issachar. Yeah, right? it's all Levites. Um, you look at um, uh, Nehemiah chapter seven. Uh, the exiles have returned. They're kind of looking at genealogies, and if there's people there that claim to be Levites but they don't have genealogical record, there's no proof of it, Yeah, they can't, be, they can't serve as priests. Right. Um, and so this is a big deal. And we see here that um, these priests, it's, it is um, as verse um, 16 says, it's a, a, a legal requirement, uh -huh. which the Greek, it literally says a fleshly, a fleshly command. Um, so you've got this uh, this fleshly command. It's all based on outward things. So you could have a you could have a, a, a Levite who is not morally fit for the office. You've got you look at First Samuel um, chapter two. You've got Hophni and Phineas. They're Levites. Um, they're descended from Aaron. They're called sons of the devil, mm. right? Um. Why are they Levites in the first place? You know, why are they priests? Why are they serving at the altar? It's because that's that's their genealogy, right? It's their family tree. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go to a, a you know a guidance counselor if you're a Levite and ask you know, well, this is what I like to do. What do you think I should you know do for a career? Well, you're a Levite. the The career is chosen for you, right? <laughs> you're a priest. <laughs> that's that's what you're going to do, whether mm -hmm. you want the job or if you are morally fit for the job, that's that's it. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of person can't bring you to God. Right. A genealogy cannot bring you to God. Yeah. Right? Um, and uh, to go along with this, it's uh, it's temporary. Yeah. Like this priesthood is temporary because you jump over to verse 23, and it says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented <clears throat> by death from continuing in office. Yeah. So you you had listed out like there are eighty eight high priests something like that. Uh, it's uh, Josephus, the the Jewish historian um, who lived during the fall of Jerusalem. Mm. Um, so he's at the end of of the the temple. Um, he lists eighty three high priests. Eighty three. Eighty three. Okay. Yeah, um, and that's not counting all the other priests. That's just counting the high priests. Mm. So we're talking. I mean, depending on how many sons they have, I mean, right. we're talking, we're talking hundreds, mm -hmm. hundreds of priests. So they're numerous because they die. Right. Um, why do they die? Well, that's that's the next. Right. <laughs> that's the next limitation. Right. Is that um, the the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood? It's it's um, uh, you know operated by sinners. Sinners. Yeah. Right. Um, that's what it says in uh, verse twenty seven says that uh, it's comparing Jesus and, and this high priest, but it says that those, those high priests, they have to offer sacrifices daily, uh, first for their own sins and then for the those of the people. 
and um, you can look at Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and there's I mean, there's just so many um, sacrifices that are are mentioned in regards to the priest. Mm-hmm. They can't just they can't just approach God um, without sacrifice. I mean, if the high priest went into the holy of holies without blood of sacrifice he's a dead man right i, I don't know i i i never uh i never you you're a backgrounds guy mm. i i never um might double check this did they used to tie a rope around these guys um, uh, that's that's the that's kind of the the myth that i've like, heard but i don't I, know if it's yeah, i don't I, know if it's actually something that they would that they actually did i think it's like an oral tradition okay. that's been passed down mm. i don't think it's not recorded in the bible mm. that they would that they would do that so uh that's that's kind of the i mean that's what's been passed down as a world tradition yeah uh i guess kind of like you know john was boiled and survived uh-huh. boiled in oil and survived right. so you have to imagine that they had they had some kind of um, backup plan. If yeah, the, I mean, if the, he, high, if the high priest goes into the holy of holies and yeah. doesn't come back, <laughs> I'm like, how you go get him? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is again this this gets at the very heart of the issue um, that would have been for for these these Jewish Christians. You've got this this uh, established worship in Jerusalem where at the temple the Levitical priest would offer sacrifices for the atonement of sins. Mm-hmm. And this comes down to the very heart of the issue of how do I know that my sins are forgiven? Mm-hmm. I mean this is a big ask, right? Like we're not we're not saying Jesus is attack on to this. Keep doing this and just, you know, follow Jesus. Jesus is the replacement for this. Mm-hmm. And so the the apostolic instruction is that you don't need this anymore. You, you don't go and 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 offer sacrifices anymore for sin because right. Jesus has atoned for sin. Well, how do I know? Yeah. How do I know if I stop doing this? How do I know that when I die, I'm not going to go to hell? Yeah. Because my sins haven't been atoned for. So yeah. this is this is a big this is a big deal. We we. Um, we don't quite feel that because we're two thousand years removed from stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I give the the example, you know, if if all the elders at Christ Fellowship Church just disappeared one day, it would obviously disrupt things. <laughs> but the church could go on, like you could still come and you could still sing and you could still pray and someone could read from Scripture and teach and and worship would still go on. Um, but if the all the priests disappeared. Like you don't have temple worship, it's it's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is the this is the problem for modern day Judaism. You've got rabbis, but they don't have to be Levites, and they're not offering sacrifices. So what are you doing for the atonement of your sins? Um, and they you know they fudge some with good works and and things like that, but that's not what the law commands. That's not what the law commands. The law commands that a Levite has to offer sacrifices for your sin. Um, and so what do you do when um, your priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sin first? Yeah, um, he's. How can he bring you this unfettered, unimpeded, unbroken fellowship and access to God if he doesn't even have it? Yeah. Right? Um, so you pile these up, 
and you see that the Levitical priesthood they couldn't they couldn't actually accomplish the goal. Mm-hmm. They couldn't actually bring you to God, right? Um, because they didn't even have it. Yeah, um, you could be a Levite and not the high priest, and you couldn't go into the holy of holies where God is. Yeah, um, you don't even have that that unimpeded um, right. access to God. Mm-hmm. How are you going to bring the people? Yeah. The people are even further back. You can look at a diagram of the temple. You got the temple, the actual temple in the middle, and then you've got walls <laughs> around the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, the the men could come into the, you know, kind of the inner court, but they couldn't go into the building. Right. The women couldn't go into the inner court. They had to stay in the the courtyard of the women. And then the Gentiles were in the, you know, they were in the furthest. They couldn't come any closer. How are you going to have access to God through that? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is you can't. Right. And if that's the goal, then something better has to come. Yeah, yeah. And that's the second point. Mm-hmm. Uh, only Jesus' priesthood brings us to God. Right. And so this this next time we kind of roll through these texts, that's what you brought out, is the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were five ways that he is superior in his priesthood. So walk through those with us. It's my outline within an outline. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you did a good job re uh that that's the thing if you're going to have that you've got to have a repetition mm-hmm. and restate and you did a good job at that so yeah all right so Jesus's priesthood is not based on genealogy mm. um he's he's not from levite um I, apparently by this time it's common knowledge that he's from Judah um you've got i i think now, I, I can't prove this, and I didn't find this in any of the commentaries that I um, was using, but I think this could actually be used as evidence for the early writing of Matthew and Luke, hmm. because how would they know that Jesus was descended from Judah? Well, you, that's how Matthew begins his gospel. You've got a genealogy yeah. <laughs> that traces his line yeah. uh, through through David, mm-hmm. um, through through Judah, through David, um, down to Jesus. Um, same with uh, same with the genealogy in Luke. There's some differences. There's debate over what's going on, but it regardless, they both go through Judah. Um, so it's common knowledge. I I would say that the best the best explanation for that is that the gospels are being um, passed around. Yeah, but I don't have any evidence for mm. that. It's just just yeah. a, just a thought. Yeah, good theory. Um, so he's not uh, he's not from Levi. He's from Judah. Um, and the law never said anything about someone from Judah, um, offering sacrifices right. in the altar. And you look back at, uh, at second Kings and you have King Uzziah who tries to, he goes in, he's going to offer incense on the altar and the priests are trying to stop him. Um, it's not for you to offer incense on the altar. Um, and he's angry at them and God strikes him with leprosy. Mm. Um, this is how serious yeah. the the the, uh, the system is mm-hmm. under the old covenant, under the right. law. Um, a, a, someone from Judah, uh, that you know, you've got places where David and Solomon and his sons they are dressed like priests, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of act like priests. But the one thing they don't do is go into the temple and offer, um, right? Offer you know mm-hmm. sacrifices uh, like a priest, yeah. Right? Um, so he's not, he's not descended from Levi, he's descended from Judah. So his priesthood 
is not based on his genealogy, but it says it's based on his indestructible life. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got these these priests that their only requirement is that they were born to the right family. Right. You've got Jesus who died and has been raised back to life and he never he'll never die again. Mm-hmm. That's the basis of his priesthood. Uh, verse verse 24 he continues forever. Yeah, yeah, the former priests were many in number because they would die, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Mhm. And I, I just love that phrase, he continues forever. It's unto the ages, unto the eons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as long as, um, I mean, forever. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no end. Yeah. He will always be a priest. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't stop at some point. He doesn't, he doesn't retire. He doesn't you know, pass it on to somebody <laughs> right. else. It's him forever. Mm-hmm. That, that in itself brings that that's evidence that he can bring us to god mm-hmm. in a way you know the, the priest can't do that because they don't even have it they die yeah he lives forever he can bring you mm-hmm. right yeah i really and i like the second one um is it is it wrong to have ones that you like <laughs> i like the second one because yeah, no. it's secured by an oath right and whose oath who's making this oath right um yeah. and god is the one who's swearing mm-hmm. and this is where um <sighs> You gotta love the you gotta love the mastery of of the writer of Hebrews, just in a literary fashion. As a preacher, it's a little bit more frustrating trying to, to hold it all together and try to to connect the dots. He he goes back to to chapter six, mm-hmm. like he 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 talked in in verses thirteen through eighteen about when God made a promise to Abraham, he made an oath. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, right. he's setting us up. Yeah, that's <laughs> he's, right. he's setting us up for uh, what he says here. Yeah, he's talking about Psalm 110. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about Psalm 110 over here in chapter six. He's talking about Genesis 15. Yeah, and when God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to multiply his offspring, he also says, "I swear by myself." Yeah, and so we have this uh, this um, extended discussion about what it means when God makes an oath. Yeah, God can't change his mind, he doesn't change, and he doesn't lie. And so when he makes an oath, he swears by himself because he doesn't have anything higher to swear on. Like if we were to, sw- you know, you hear people swear, this was my pinky swear um, mm-hmm. sermon. Uh, you know, you swear by your uh, mother's grave or something, you know, right. uh, you know something like that. Uh, God doesn't have anything higher than him that he can appeal to. He swears by himself and he can't change he can't lie, so when he swears an oath, it's binding. Mm-hmm. Um, because if he breaks it, it's it's as if God dies, and God can't die. Um, so his his oath uh, says at the end of chapter six, it's this anchor that that holds us. We we hold on to this this anchor, and so now he's applying it to Psalm one hundred and ten. Yeah, and this is I think this is the first time where we get Psalm one hundred and ten verse four in its entirety. So he's been saying you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek several times, but now he gives the whole thing. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Um, so God swears an oath, uh, and you can you see it stacked. The Lord has sworn, and we know what that means. He doesn't change. He can't lie. Um, he will not change his mind, and forever you're a priest forever. Um, so you put all those together. 
this is the security of Jesus's priesthood. Yeah, uh, the the Levitical priests they didn't have. There wasn't an oath that that had. God didn't swear an oath um, to the Levitical priests mm-hmm. when they are installed as priests. Right. Um, there's a ceremony, but there's not an oath. Yeah. Um, they don't repeat. God has sworn you're going to be a priest forever. That is applied to the priest who comes after the order of Melchizedek, who's Jesus. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is his permanent, his permanent priest. Yeah. And Psalm 110 shows that this was anticipated. Right. Or people should have been ready for something like this. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. The, the, the very fact that uh, Psalm 110 comes 400 years after the law. Um, talking about a priesthood that's not after the order of of Levite, it it is uh, it's telling us mm-hmm. look for someone who's going to be a king priest, mm-hmm. not someone that is after the order of of Levi, someone who's going to be better. Yeah, um, and that's what we see, and it's uh, it's secured by an oath. And then the third one was uh, the distinction between uh, the Levites who were sinners. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is one of moral perfection. Right. And yeah. these are clear. When you start to go through them this way, you can see how he's clearly comparing these together. Right. Yeah. Um, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Mm. He has no need to offer sacrifices like those high priests. For himself, to, who have to offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people, um, he doesn't have to because he has that five that fivefold perfection. He's mm-hmm. holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Yeah. Um, he is superior to the Levitical priest because in his his character, um, he has infinite perfection. Um, and you go back, and, and this is not the first time that he's mentioned this, uh, chapter 4, um, he's without sin. Chapter 2 says he's made like us in every way, and so he's able to sympathize with our weakness. Um, but he's not only able to sympathize with our weakness, he's actually able to help us. Uh, like, if you came to me and, and confessed some sin, I could sympathize with you because I know I know what it's like to be a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um but I couldn't help you get rid of that sin. Right. Like I couldn't atone for that sin. Um, Jesus, he he has endured temptation in a way that none of us ever have. We only know temptation as people who have actually given in. He knows temptation as the one who has always resisted. Um, so he he knows the full brunt of temptation. Um, and he's able to sympathize with us, and he's able to help us in our time of need. Mm. Um, this is something that those high priests couldn't do because they were sinners, also. Um, so they had yeah. to, they had their own their own guilt that they had to deal with. Jesus does not. So Jesus' priesthood is based not on genealogy, but the power of a perfect, indestructible life. He's risen from the dead. He continues forever. Uh, his priesthood is superior because it's secured by an oath from God. Uh, it is superior because he is a priest of moral perfection himself. Mm-hmm. And then fourth, he is a better priest because he offers a better sacrifice. Right. Right. Um, they offer animal sacrifices. He offered himself. They have to offer these animal sacrifices daily. He offered himself once for all. Mm. Um because his sacrifice actually worked. 
and uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but we'll also talk about it when we get to chapters 9 and 10, mm -hmm. because uh, he really does a deep dive <clears throat> yeah. into the perfection of Christ's sacrifice, because that's that's really at the heart of it. Right. right. Um, how do I know my sins are forgiven? Because the sacrificial system has ended. Yeah. So the problem for modern-day Judaism is that there's not a sacrificial system, but the strength, <laughs> if they would just acknowledge Christ, is that his sacrifice actually worked, and evidence of that is that for 2,000 years, the sacrificial system has been gone, mm -hmm. because he made a once-for-all-time sacrifice that actually atoned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then the last one, which you said you'll have an entire section on this. Yeah, I mean, chapter 8 is yeah. all about it. Yeah, he's a guarantor of a better covenant, mm -hmm. so the superiority of the new covenant. Yeah, so you've got, you've got the Levitical priesthood. It's, it's based on the law, the, the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. Um, that's that's what the Levitical priest. It's it's intricately connected. You can't have one without the other. Right. Um, we go back to chapter or verse eleven and, and twelve. If there's a change in the priesthood, there has to be a change in the law. Right. You, you can't you can't change the priesthood and not change the law because the law says they have to be Levites. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there's a new priest. It's not Levitical. There necessarily has to be a change in the law. Mm -hmm. they, they go together. Right. The priesthood can't bring perfection. The law can't bring perfection. Yeah. Um, so there has to be a new covenant. And yeah. chapter eight will um, will we will um, study what that means. Right. Yeah. When we talk about a new covenant, uh -huh. what does that mean? So we'll we'll look at that more. But um, needless to say. Um, he makes it explicit in verse 22, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. So right. it's, it, I mean, you don't have to misunderstand that. It's not, it's not, um, it's not another, uh, uh, administration of the same covenant. Right. It's a better covenant. Yeah. It's a new covenant. Yeah. And so the in conclusion is only Jesus's priesthood can bring us to God. Yeah, that's, that's the main point of that's the main these point. verses, right? Yeah. Verse twenty-five. Um, that's the main point. Uh, the ESV translates it as "consequently." Um, you could translate it as "therefore." This is the this is the, the the purpose of it. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, or he is able to save to uh, for all time perfectly, um, as opposed to the Levitical priest who couldn't do that. Jesus actually is able to. Uh, save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Um, this is present active. Um, so those who continually draw near to God, Jesus saves them um, through himself because he always lives to make intercession for them. Mm -hmm. So he is the ever-living priest who intercedes for his people, and therefore they actually can come to God. Okay. So, the, so perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood, but it is, it's not hypothetical, maybe let's try something new, it's he actually does do it. Yeah. All right, so this is uh, an outstanding argument, and we can understand it in its historical context, how it's written to people who would be tempted to go back to the, the uh, Levitical priesthood. Mm -hmm. um, let's now, in our day, 2022, try to draw a little application from it right. um, for those, those that are Christians and those that are listening. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we draw from this? Uh, one thing that I was that that I was thinking of um, was 
the there is always a temptation to well, I don't even know if it's a temptation or if it's just uh, human nature to fall back into uh, thinking that there are things maybe that we could do to gain more acceptance from God. Right. And people don't ever do it on purpose. Well, I, I think some people do it on purpose because right, maybe right. they don't understand the gospel. Uh-huh. But even Christians can fall back into that way mm-hmm. of thinking. Yeah. And this type of... Um, argument here with the superior of Jesus priesthood, I think helps us to understand and to rest in his person, his work only. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I think if we remember that um, the priesthood, the law, um, this was the only way that Israel could draw near to God. Mm-hmm. There was no other way. Um, this this was central to their life. I mean, we we really need to grasp this the the centrality of the temple. Like it's the center of all of Israel's life. If you don't have it, if you don't have the priest, then everything falls apart. Right. Um, the author of Hebrews is saying that something better has come. If Israel could not come to God any other way than the Levitical priesthood. And now something even better has come that has annulled the the old way of, of doing things. What could we possibly bring? What what could what what else could we possibly be trusting in to bring us to God? You can only come to God through a priesthood. That that is abundantly clear in the Old and the New Testament. The only way you can come to God is through a sacrifice. And if the Levitical priesthood couldn't bring perfection, and now there is one that actually can, what are you gonna what are you gonna trust in? Right. What what else are you going to trust in? What are you gonna hope in other than this great high priest? Um, are you gonna try? Uh, are you gonna trust in genealogy? I mean, how many people trust in the fact that their parents are Christians, mm-hmm. or they've been going to church their entire lives, or my daddy was a preacher, or you know my parents are the first ones to build this church, or whatever it, you know whatever it is. Genealogy doesn't work, right? Um, you can't do good works. That, that you can't do good works. It has to go through a priest. Mm-hmm. It has to be a priest that offers sacrifices to atone for sins. Um, someone has to act in relation to God and man. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what else are you going to bring? And if this is Jesus, and this is going to kind of bleed over into to next week's sermon, um, if this is who Jesus is, what can you add to this? What can you add to this perfection? There's nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and for those uh, in particular, like maybe that been around Christianity, they're not Christians. Like like you had said, um, why would you think you can do it if it actually would take God in human flesh mm-hmm. to offer a sacrifice of Himself? Right. To reconcile you to God, it's foolish to think right. that you have anything that could accomplish this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah the 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 point of him writing this is to to say to those who are coming out of Judaism and they are professing faith in Christ, but now 
the heat's being turned up. If you're a follower of Jesus, um, you could get thrown into the jail, you could have your property confiscated, um, you can experience suffering, and so they're wanting to go back to Judaism. And the point is, why would you go back to something that has been made obsolete? Mm-hmm. Why would you go back to something that is weak and useless, that doesn't actually bring you to God? So to leave Jesus is absolute madness. Mm-hmm. It's absolute folly. And that's not just true for people in Judaism, that's true for Christians. Yeah. Um, if you come to Christ, if you have been in church, you've made a profession of faith, you're, you're hearing the gospel, you understand it, and then you become disillusioned because of, you know, well, someone in the church said something I didn't like, or they did something I didn't like, so I'm going to leave. You know, you get these deconstructing, these deconstruction stories. Um, it's madness. Where are you going to go? If it's Jesus, it's Jesus alone. Um, you're not going to find him anywhere else. You're not going to. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find what will bring you to God anywhere else, except in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and so, cling to Christ. Yeah. All right, so where are we going next? You're going to rehash? I think I'm going to rehash, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I, I um, it, There's just so much there. I don't feel like I did it justice because it was – here's the here's – the, um, this this one was kind of the, the weakness of the Levitical priesthood. Um, now I want to look at the perfection of Christ and, and really just emphasize – it never hurts the church to just gaze at Christ, yeah. to just see who he is and be mm-hmm. reminded of who he is. So we're going to do that. And then uh, in two weeks, we'll look at the New Covenant passage. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, George. Good sermon. Appreciate it. I know you're worried about it, but I think you handled the text well. Very informative and also helped us to to rest in Christ better as his people. So if you are listening today and this is beneficial to you and has helped you in some way, please give us a like, a subscribe, maybe share this with your friends. It's our hope and desire. This helps you to be more conformed to Christ. See you next time.